So, Laura, godly play. What do we want to talk about? <laughs> One, two, five, nine. Godly preacher, servant, leader, rector, reverend, deacon, elder. What the hell? I could talk to you about everything from godly play, but let's just uh, like start with some history. How about that? Oh, yes. Tell me the history. I know nothing about the history. Yes. Uh, so uh, Godly Play was founded by this really cool dude called Jerome Berryman. Um, he is an Episcopal priest and he has his like demon and he has a law degree and he's really, really smart. <laughs> right. He's very impressive, like record of things that he does. Um, and I think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to get some of my dates wrong because I'm not great at dates. But back in, like, the late 70s, I think, was when he started working on the Institute for the Theology of Childhood. Um, Oh, okay. Yes, which highly recommend. All their resources are phenomenal. Um, And it's developmentally based, like, age and stage Montessori stuff. He even, like, went to Italy and did, like, the Montessori certificate training program that like Maria Montessori started. Wow. Um, right. So he's like super qualified for this. Um, and he, uh, he then started, I think in like the eighties working on godly play. The first iteration of this was young children in worship that he did with Sonia Stewart, um, which is also really fascinating. If you want like extra stories, um, and like extra things to add on to your godly play. Um, but godly play became official sometime around in the eighties um, and started in uh, North America um, in Episcopal churches and has slowly, but rapidly at the same time spread across the world actually, um, which is really, really cool. Uh, and so the work that Berryman has been doing for, oh my gosh, how many years does that make that? 40? 40, yeah. Yeah. Math. Um, <laughs> so bad at it. Math um, not required for God's play. <laughs> amen. Um, and <laughs> and uh, so he started working on like, how do we introduce children to God in a way that makes sense for children? Okay. Um, and I mentioned it in our last, our last podcast, like the whole idea is to invite children into the story of God. Mm-hmm because we're all part of this story, right? Or at least we're supposed to be. Um, And so Berryman uh, started using those Montessori principles of like tactile and, um, you know, touch and play uh, to begin writing these different stories. Um, And it starts like the very first story is creation, which is beyond cool. And if we had visual, I would tell you a story. Um, (laughs) Maybe... Ooh, if we can get that as like a bonus where we do like a video with you, that would be oh, a yeah. cool thing to have. Yes. Um, and the story is, um, like I said, kind of like invite you in, in, in how they start. Um, and there's different types of stories too. I should also clarify that, right? So creation is first and we have the beginning of everything. And that starts what are called the biblical kind of sacred stories. Um, they're called sacred stories because God is the main character, right? Okay. <laughs> right. makes sense. So then we have like things like Noah's Ark and um, what are some of the other big ones? The 10 best ways, of course, the 10 commandments. I like that. 
Yes, it's it's really cool. Um, and then you have things like um, the Exodus and Exile and Return. Um, there's even a whole one where it's the tent, the Ark in the tent, and you actually get to put the Ark in the the tent and put the tent together in the sand. Um, that's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. Like, so into that. <laughs> it is, it is so, so cool. Even adults like get so into godly play. Um, and it goes on to like the temple period and it goes all the way through the old Testament. Um, and then into the new Testament. Um, at which point our transition is the story of the Holy Bible. Like here's Bible. What is it? Oh. Um, it's kind of my least, one of my least favorite stories just cause it's kind of boring, but it's necessary, yeah. I promise. Yeah. And then we kind of go into like the New Testament stories and then eventually into the stories of the church past Jesus. Um, and so you're kind of following like just the arc of of everything of God's creation from beginning to almost where we are today. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, so Berryman, when he was making this, was thinking like, you know, how can I show kids this whole entire scope of God and God's creation and God's story and have it in such a way that um, they can engage with it, but also, you know, are learning the stories. But the main focus, I will say, is not necessarily knowing the stories, but knowing what, why the stories matter. Hmm. Um, uh, some of my favorite ones are the parables, um, which I, so funny. So we just got a new pastor um, and she's never done godly play. And she did her sermon this past Sunday and she was talking about the parables of Jesus. And she was like, you know, sometimes parables are really hard and we can't understand them and that's okay. And I was like, oh my God, this is how godly play starts. Um, <laughs> and so I had to tell her this. I was like, by the way, you were doing godly play and you didn't know it. Um, so we have like, these gold boxes that the kids like get to see and we knock on them and, and we talk about parables being a gift and how sometimes we can understand them and sometimes we can't. Um, and then they're interactive, right? Like the mustard seed, like you lay out this big yellow underlay, which kids are always like, it's the sun, it's a lemon. Um, <laughs> clearly it's a lemon. Um, mm-hmm. and then Only, like, yeah, <laughs> what else would it be? Uh, they didn't have really, I don't, did they have lemons back then in ancient Israel? Oh God, that's not a question that I, they, it certainly was not the exact type of lemons we have today. That's what yeah. I can say with confidence. Yeah. So, you know, probably not a lemon, um, <laughs> but the tree, like, you know, then it, you literally like unroll it from your hand and watch it grow. Um, I love that. I know. Oh, Joe, you need to you need to come and do godly play with me. Yes. Um, <laughs> Road trip now. <laughs> yes, come to Memphis. Woo. Yeah. Um, it's only like what ten hours. <laughs> no big deal. No, no big deal. <laughs> and so, like, the kids are invited to think about why that story is important, um, which can some, like I said in, in our last last podcast, like. It can be really frustrating sometimes because they're like making bad jokes because um, yeah. they think they're funny um, or they're not quite there yet. And that that's OK. Like godly play is done with kids as young as three. Mm-hmm. And sometimes three year olds are deep and sometimes three year olds love poop. Um, 
and both are holy i want yes, to say yeah they are very very holy things um <laughs> uh but it can be really cool to watch them um, like engage with the stories because they start to see, like I said, themselves in the story, but also to see the story in new ways, right? Like I've had so many kids that I've asked them, I'm like, tell me the story of Noah's Ark. Mind you, they're in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And they look at me with like, I have six heads. Hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I know you've heard this like 700 times. Like, what is the disconnect? Versus with like godly play, I can turn around and be like, all right, what was this story about? And they can tell me the whole entire story word for word. Wow. Um, it is a magical, magical thing to watch kids truly and deeply engage with scripture um, and do it in a way that makes sense for them. Um, even adults get like, I tell my teachers all the time, I'm like, you're going to get something out of this too. Um, because, you know, something is going to like occur to you and you're like oh my god I never thought of that <laughs> right um, and it happens all the time um and I wish I got to like teach my kids as much as I do did well used to um most of my te- <laughs> I have so many teachers it's so wonderful I could cry um <laughs> that you know they're actually like really engaged with our kids and stuff um but our kids are learning like why why communion, like I said before, like why communion is important and why baptism is important. And, you know, why do all these different things that we do in church matter? Um, And it's definitely made a difference with how our kids sit through church, Mm. (laughs) Uh, which is a huge part of what Berryman also wanted to teach was like, how do we exist within holy spaces? Um, Because even adults suck at that. yeah absolutely Um, right like how how do you deal with silence like there's a whole godly play lesson on like silence um which just you know goes to show like how important silence is within within our faith and how bad we are actually engaging with it yep and and so like our kids have learned you know this is an important part that's happening and you can watch them kind of engage or disengage depending on where we are in the service Right. Because they were like, oh, yeah, we talked about this and it's important. Or, oh, yeah, we talked about that and it's important. And it's it's really, really cool to see because that was the whole point of what um, Jerome was doing. Right. Was making this whole toolkit. I think is the best way to put it with godly play. It's literally a toolkit of like, here are the things that you need in order to be able to be successful in your faith life and faith journey. You know, liturgy is actually, I mean, we don't use the word liturgy um, with the kids, but they're seeing what liturgy looks like. um, And the whole structure of a godly play lesson follows the structure of worship. Okay. So first they start with their story um, and they do this in a circle where everybody is on the same level. Um, Teachers sit on the floor, which is sometimes a challenge. Um, we have yoga pillows. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, or um, Godly Play is really adaptable too. So like if you have a kid in a wheelchair or something, you you bring it up onto a table um, and everybody comes up to the table. Um, so there's lots of ways to adapt it, which is really great. Um, and so that would be the word of worship. And then they go into the liturgy, which is their response time, um, mm. which is where the, where the go bears poster came from um (laughs) that still gets me like I'm pretty sure he has it hanging at home um 
Yes. And uh, they get to respond however they want. Um, from like, we have Legos, we have modeling clay, which I have to take away in the summer or they'll use it all. Um, we have um, crayons and markers and colored pencils and glue and scissors and all sorts of things. Um, and they get to respond in any way that they feel called to. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think one of the funniest things was I met somebody when I went to the Godly Play North American Conference. And she's like, usually you get to the response time with adults. And they're like, this is awful. I don't want to do this. But she did it at, <laughs> she did it at Wesley. Fun fact. Um, and she was like, but they were so good at responding here. Huh. I, something about Wesley, I guess we're just really good at being creative. And I was like, it's probably because they force us to be. Um, yeah, I think that's true, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like the kids just really get to, to explore whatever it is. Like I said, I've had kids make, like I've had them make communion tables with people around them, um, out of clay. And it's just, it's so beautiful to see. Um, and then they end with a feast or a snack. Um, we do goldfish because can't be too allergic to goldfish at least hopefully um gluten-free goldfish i guess Uh, no i'm sure we don't have any kids who are gluten-free thank god knock on wood wow um yeah i've only ever met one person allergic to goldfish um because apparently the the celery seed salt on it oh interesting yeah there's there's your fun science fact for this episode um Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but so they end with that and so it mirrors like communion here at the end so they've done word liturgy and table every single week that they're in sunday school um yeah um and so they've they've learned kind of more the pattern of worship um and the model of how worship works whether they've realized it or not (laughs) Um, I think that's the biggest gift is like half the time they don't realize what they're learning. Um, Mm -hmm. And so they think it's just fun, right? And that's how kids learn, right? It's through play. Um, And and Jerome Berryman in his books writes about how, you know, the theology of play is like the key important part to how children interact with the holy. Um, And so, right? Like, it's so cool. Um, because they're not interacting the same way we are as adults. They're seeing God in such like different and unique ways and godly play lets them explore those different and unique ways. And it becomes, I don't know, it just becomes so magically holy um, because they're, they want to be there and they want to be engaged. Um, One of my kids who is like one of my biggest troublemakers, God love him. Um, somebody's gotta right (laughs) Um, he you know he's a mess I love him to death and uh, one Sunday in the summer we take godly play off just to give my teachers like you know a chance to fill their you know their their souls and and refuel their buckets Um, and he sits down with me and he goes man no one else is here and I went yeah I, I guess we'll wait and see if any friends show up and he goes if no one else shows up, can we do a story off of the shelf? Wow. Yeah. Um, he, <laughs> we do illustrated ministry in the summer and he was just like, I'm not having this. This is not what I want. Um, <laughs> and so it, Godly Play really becomes this like 
core part of who they are and who they're like what their faith is um and they get very protective of it which is (laughs) which is honestly the goal which is very funny um when i was training to be um you know a teacher for godly play uh my trainer was like your kids will learn how to take care of the room better than you will Um, okay yeah which is not what you expect um right from little kids because they're chaos Mm -hmm. um but like they will learn where the stories go they will go put them back if they're not like how they're supposed to look or how they want them to look sometimes you know they they like stick the dove from noah's ark into the ark window so it's looking out the window i Um, love that i know it's so sweet um or you know one of my kids who's four put all of the the people of god onto the communion table not not around the communion table on the communion table um and it was just it was just like such a funny thing for a four-year-old to do but i was like something made him think this is where they needed to be yeah Um, Oh, gosh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you start to ask yourself, like, these really, like, crazy theological questions that only would come up because because a kid was like, no, they don't belong around the table. They belong on the table. Um, or, no, the animals have to be on the ark, and they have to look outside the window so that they can see. Um, and all these different things and they just they become so protective of this space um so much so that we did the advent story for our christmas eve service and <laughs> they walked up and they went this is from our classroom and i was like yeah it is and they went you're gonna put it back right <laughs> <laughs> i was like I-, I do plan to yes like it's gonna go back and they were like okay good um <laughs> you know <laughs> So like that's them taking kind of ownership of, yeah. of this part of their lives. Like, yeah. and how many kids walk into a sanctuary in general and feel any sense of ownership, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that, that is what like Berryman was trying to do, um, do with this space. And so like when you walk into a godly play classroom, they're very simple. Um, they, you know, we don't keep, a lot of stuff on the walls or um you know we don't like put up huge amounts of children's artwork and it's very calm um Mm. if you can manage it you should match it to your sanctuary um as much as possible we got really lucky in that we had someone make our shelves and was able to match the stain pretty closely in the sanctuary oh Um, yep so then you you go into this space and it reminds you of that other sacred space um, so it translates a little bit better for the kids of saying, oh, okay, this space is sacred and holy, and so is this space. Um, now, it doesn't stop them from running in church, but... <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's okay to me. <laughs> yes, yes. It, I love I love little feet pitter-pattering. Um, but uh, it does help them to understand, like, this is this is what sacred means. And because they've taken ownership of those stories and taken ownership of, like everything that um is in that room they're also taking ownership in this very beautiful way of their own faith and of the stories of god um 
which like you don't get that when you hand a kid a coloring sheet and say Jesus loves you um absolutely well and it sounds very concrete I don't know why I'm yes. saying it sounds I've seen it in action it's very concrete I think yeah. one of my biggest pet peeves for children's sermons and this is why like some level of training I think is really essential yeah is that the kids you're bringing up for children's sermons most of the time you're like preschoolers through like third fourth fifth graders mm-hmm. are not very abstract thinkers yet no. so if you tell them that like faith is like a soccer net they have no idea right like what what on earth does that mean how do i have a soccer net inside me like they're just (laughs) that's not there for them yeah there's there are so many children's sermons out there if you're googling on the internet or i've just seen so many children's sermons too that are like this is like this god is like this and i'm like the the they're not getting it they're not there but what's so great about Godly Play is like kids understand stories. They understand yeah. them very well. They they can be creative with them. They can play with them. They will make their own connections and ask their own questions. And then you never run into that problem of God is like a soccer ball or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, will, <laughs> I will like sit and fidget with things if through a bad children's sermon. Yes. Where uh, same. Yeah. And like the adults will be like, oh my gosh, that was such a good analogy. And I'm like, great, but that wasn't for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Except that it was because it definitely wasn't for the children. Um. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if you're going to have a children's moment, it has to be for the children. We yeah. had John Langenstein on recently to talk about VBS. Yeah. And he talked about how uh, people think that he is bad at children's sermons because he just invites the kids up and like wants to chat with them, you know, yeah. like just wants to meet them where they are and he doesn't care if the grown-ups get anything out of it and i'm like beautiful that's what it's for yeah yes yeah i do that too when i on the odd odd occasion that i do a children's sermon nowadays um (laughs) but i you know i also refuse to do like things like children's chapel and stuff because i'm like no they need to be in worship um Because it is that concrete experience that you're saying, like, that godly play has. And that is the point, right? Like, we have to meet them developmentally where they're at. And that that is that concrete thing that they need, not the abstract stuff, like, that we sat through in systematics. Um, Yeah, systematics could benefit from some godly play. It really could. It actually, like, really, really could. Uh, and what's cool too is like it's a it's a spiral curriculum Mm -hmm. Um, and so as the kids age they add on more and more stories to what they're already hearing Um, uh, because most of what I talked about was the the core stories Um, but as they get older you can add stories together um, and compare the stories and talk about like how they're different and how they're the same. So you're meeting them at these different developmental levels where they're ready to start having more abstract ideas. Like we did at Godly Play North American Conference, we did one where we compared the Ark in the Tent to the parable of the greatest pearl. Um, Ooh. Yeah, which that is my least favorite parable. So I had a lot of rage inside of me. But but it was really interesting to see, like, the contrast of this, like, very, very Jewish story um, to this very Christian story. And what, like, where is what's sacred? What is what's different about these stories? Why do we talk about God differently in these two stories? Um, 
And once kids are like, you know, six, because you can do this with them up until, I mean, like 99, it's like Legos. Um, right. They, they keep doing it until, until they've stopped learning, which is impossible. Um, cause even adults benefit from it. Like you, <laughs> like us in seminary with Gina, um, yeah. you know, there's no way not to be drawn into it. Um, and to really learn and to experience from it. Yeah, that that kind of sparks curiosity in me. So one time I did, I have I have this vision of doing a worship service. And I think it's something that Reverend Campbell talked about. But mm-hmm. doing a worship service where we explain what the worship service is to people. That's like a thing. Walk into a space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like I I want to be able to like have that format ready to like anytime I guest preach to ask permission and be like can we just do this with your space like <laughs> we just make your people comfortable in the space and let them have yeah. some ownership of the space um, and maybe ownership isn't the right word but like a real sense of belonging in place you know yeah. that like I belong here these things are things that I can use the space is a space that like I should be comfortable in. Yeah. Um, so one time I did a sermon, this was shortly before I left ministry, um, but I did a sermon that in my brain was modeled off of godly play, but it was telling these different stories that were in the lectionary and kind of, they were really, I don't remember what exactly it was, but it was like really indicative of these different parts of the Bible, you know, like this was a really good Old Testament story that you think of as an Old Testament story. This was a really great, like paradigmatic Psalm. This was an epistle letter that talks about being an epistle. And this was a gospel story that was like solid gospel. Um, And so I used uh, Plato and I like talked through all of these things while making like Plato shapes to be like, this represents this, this represents this. Yeah. And I thought was like hella fun. I really enjoyed it. Like, I was nervous about it, but I was like, let's just go through it and do it. Yeah. And the thing that I remember the most about that Sunday is uh, as I was le- as I was like shaking hands out the door after the first service, one guy came up and he's like, well, you know, you, you might have done less work if you just came out here and showed us how to till a field. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and so like... <sighs> This human just did not, this was not for him in that moment. That's okay. Like, I get it. He has not been trained to think about church in this way. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't trying to be a show off, but it came off show offy. And I understand it. Right. Like, (laughs) um, but like, do you think there's a way that you could do either a church service or maybe like a series that is like godly play, but for the church service to like help people understand church? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, the closest I've done, I did like a, when I was with the Episcopals, we did a fifth grade, um, oh my gosh, what do we call it? Something communion liturgy thing where they basically explained as as the service went on, you know, they took turns reading and saying, this is why we do this. And, you know, explaining the, his, you know, like a brief history of why that exists. Um I don't know if anybody specifically has used like godly play stories to do that. However, it could totally happen. Um, You know, you could take the Ark in the tent or Ark in the temple and talk about why we have, you know, sacred spaces within our sanctuaries, right? Because the reason we have a sanctuary is because of 
the fact that we have to have a place to worship because we don't have a temple. Um, and you could also use the the synagogue in the upper room, which is a really cool story in which like the upper room or the upper room literally turns into a synagogue and then turns into a church. Um, it's oh, it's so cool. It's it's very very cool. Um, and you could talk about you know the reason we're in this space. Um, and there is a story on Holy Communion, like why do we do communion? Um, and there is a story on baptism. So you could do the story of baptism to talk about these kinds of things. Or you could, you know, take the chunks of those stories that make the most sense for your worship space and your worship time and adapt them. Um, people write their own godly place stories all the time. Um because sometimes you have to find something that fits like your context a little better. Um, (laughs) Which I mean, like godly play is very, it has a lot of broadness to it, which is good. Um, But there's also like godly play Torah, which is like our Jewish brothers and sisters who are using godly play style, but doing stories that are significant to them and to their, their faith and their religion. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's definitely is that room to adapt godly play to work for whatever it is that you're like, this is what my congregation needs right now, or this is how we need to talk about X, Y, and Z. Um, now I want to like contact the foundation and be like, you guys need to make this. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Or like, do you have it and nobody's used it in a while? Or Yeah. 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 Um, kind of a practical question as we like kind of come to the end end of this, though, like I could talk about this for a lot longer. I know. I know. You can bring me back later. Don't worry. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So for Godly Play, there is the like registered TM Godly Play that mm-hmm. you buy. Here's the curricula. Here's the thing. People can like make their own things in the style of Godly Play. And I don't yes. think the Godly Play comes after you for that. No. But I think the biggest barrier is expense for most yes. people. Do you remember like off the top of your head, if you're just getting started, how much do people plan to spend on like a godly play kit? If you're doing the just the core stories, you're looking at around three to five thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a year's budget. Um Yeah. I will say we got started on ours for just under three grand because you can be very creative one, but two, there are so many churches that have been doing godly play for, you know, 20, 30 years um, that chances are you can reach out to them because we got a lot of our stuff hand me down. And I just reached out to them and said, Hey, who's getting rid of stuff? We'll pay for it. We'll pay for shipping, whatever. Um, and we were able to get like, like we got all of the books, which I mean, they've updated the books. So we have the technically out of date ones, but whatever, um, for the cost of shipping, which was the cost of one of the books. Wow. Um, so like those options exist out there. Um, and, and it's, it is possible to, to DIY a lot of this and godly play resources, like their website will, will walk you through like ways to like figure out how to do it for cheap because they understand that that price is a barrier for a lot of churches. Um, you know, they're like, here, <laughs> you know, go cut out some people of God. Here's the, you know, model for it or whatever. Um, and you can also buy some of the stories deconstructed basically. Um okay. 
for cheaper and then you have to like you know paint them or glue it together or like our people of god we got which are like little just like wooden people doing different like dance moves um came (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny they look they look adorable but they're so funny you know they they came unsanded and with markers to color them okay so you know if you're willing to spend the extra little bit of time to put it together or if you have volunteers who are willing to do it which if they're invested in godly play they will take the time Mm -hmm. um my volunteer, one of my volunteers, she uh, is actually a deacon, and she was like emailing me and being like, "I'm putting all this stuff together for their response time. What about this, this, and that?" And I was like, "What is happening?" But also like, "I love that you're doing this." And so people are willing to invest in godly play if one, they know what it is, and two, they can see the benefits and the results of it. Yeah. Um, so it is. It is. It is a barrier. When I did a whole entire room. At the church in Atlanta, it cost with shelves um, about twelve grand, (laughs) and that's for every story that they had at the time. Wow! Um, Yeah, and they're constantly adding new stories. Um, When I was at the workshop for Godly Play, we got to see Jesus and the women, which is a a new story they're working on, um, and and things like that. So it it's always changing, which I think is really wonderful and and speaks to the holiness of God of like the changing of the ways that we interpret scripture and we experience scripture and we experience God. Um, but yeah, it is, <laughs> it is intense price wise. <laughs> yeah. But also, I mean, depending on the size of your program and things, if you're buying that, like that first starter kit, I mean mm-hmm. that it's a year's worth of curriculum, but also yeah. like, you're not gonna have to buy that again every year. Like that's the yeah. first big startup kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It technically is more than a year of curriculum, too, because of how the the spiral works. And it's an investment that's going to last you like 10, 15, 20 years if it's well cared for. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, at that point, like, I bet there is somebody, there is at least one person in every church who knows woodworking well enough to be able to help you with some of those things. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yeah, you can really, like, what is it, the ship of Theseus, like, replace all the different parts of it over time. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, gosh. I, yeah, I, I love that. I'm so afraid that this, we're going to come to like the end of this pedagogical moment as like a society and be like, mm, hands on is like not really what it is. It didn't help us learn as much as, as we need to, God. but I don't think so. No, like, I, I don't feel like think this so. really goes back to some of the roots of education of being, yeah. being very story-based, which is like what our ancestors have done for literally millennia. Yeah. Um, and being very, um, very concrete and um, engaging like the whole person. Like I think education moved to this like very formalized setting where we focus only on your like written and verbal skills and that's what's needed. Mm -hmm. And I think moving away, we we tried that for the industrial (laughs) age, for the factory age, and we're now on the other side of it. And we're like, "Uh, that didn't do it. You know, we need some other stuff too. And so yes. I appreciate that. Like, I think Godly Play will stick it out. Like, I think yes. this is a... Yeah. <laughs> I hope so, because I spent a lot of money on it. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. Yes. <laughs> any, any last thoughts? Anything you want to, like, leave listeners with as they, as they have taken in all of this knowledge and move forward with it? Oh, I'm just going to tell you to go to their, their YouTube channel, um, because they have um, many of their, their well-trained storytellers 
um, who are telling these stories. Um, and it is a, uh, I mean, just pick whatever Bible story you want that they have um, or non-Bible story that they have and just soak it in and see what it's like and experience it. Um, as much as I wish I could just like pop into your house and come tell you a story, um, I can't do that because teleportation doesn't exist. Um, it's so unfortunate. It's that science <laughs> thing. Um, but <laughs> uh, but go soak it in and go experience it. Yeah, I love that. Well, Laura, thank you again for this. This has been yeah. so exciting. We will, um, in the future, when I've built out a whole What the Hell is a Pastor cinematic universe, we'll have you <laughs> do workshops for us. It'll be great. Yes, down for it. <laughs> but for now, I will sign us off. Friends, thanks for listening. This has been a mini-sode of What the Hell is a Pastor. We are Norwich and the Dude, and we will see you next time. What the Hell is a Pastor is a part of the Disruptive Disciples podcast network. Our theme song is written by Joe Schomolf, performed by Joe Schomolf, Ian Uriola, and Paul Uriola, and produced by Paul Uriola. Find us across the internet at WTHIAP or visit us at WTHIAP.com to get connected to our Patreon, merch, and some other stuff. Thanks for listening. And remember, friends, Ethan gave me all the money in his wallet. <laughs>